Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Rachel. I'm Freddie. And I'm Ben. And on today's New Statesman podcast, we're assessing the latest in the Tory leadership race and asking, cost of living, surely some help is coming soon. Right, guys? So it's a cliche to say that a week is a long time in politics. It does feel that in leadership race terms, uh, a week is about a year. If we start off looking at what's been going on in the last seven days, we had a great scoop by our New Statesman Deputy Political Editor, Rachel Wehmuth, last Friday about Rishi Sunak. She is currently on holiday taking a well-earned break, as is Anoush, which is why you've got me today. But that was the video that showed Sunak in Tunbridge Wells proudly telling Conservative Party members in that area how he had diverted or helped to divert levelling up money from deprived urban areas to areas like Tunbridge Wells, which is one of the one of the wealthier parts of the country. From all of you, I managed to start changing the funding formulas to make sure that areas like this are getting the funding that they deserve. Because we inherited a bunch of formulas from the Labour Party that shoved all the funding into deprived urban areas, then uh, they you know that needed to be undone. I started the work of undoing that. I made sure as Chancellor across government, not only do we increase local government funding. And this video was everywhere. Sunak's team had to put out a statement uh, on it. It kind of played for the next sort of couple of days. Looking back, though, Freddie, like, what impact do you think this had? Has it changed the mood or did it just basically tell people what they thought they already knew about Rishi Sunak? Yeah. So as you said, it did go on for quite a few days. And I don't think it made a massive difference in terms of policy. I think for lots of people, probably the mass dropped on levelling up and they realised that it was actually quite an unclear policy and it was a facade uh, and a marketing ploy that we've not seen money benefits from. So I think that matches people's perceptions already. But the, the main thing in terms of the campaign was that it it sort of reinforced the perceptions of each candidate. Rishi Sunak is this sort of anti-levelling up week on Brexit, even though he voted for Brexit, tax-dodging international banker candidate who doesn't really know what's going on in either the north of the country or even though his constituency's there. So I think it reinforced that. And then Liz Truss is this a straight-talking Yorkshire woman who knows what a woman is. So that's the perceptions of each candidate for lots of people. And I think it just reinforced that, that maybe Rishi Sunak is a little bit more out of touch and he doesn't have the same priorities as some of the, for instance, 2019 Conservative voters. 
Ben, it could potentially play quite well for Rishi Sunak because he was in a, a blue wall, sorry, I know you hate that term, but he was in a blue wall seat talking about how he was standing up for the values of people in those seats. So it could have played well for him among that particular demographic. But more generally, you've got a case now where the two people who are fighting to be the next Prime Minister are really going for each other and discussing years of, of government policy, conveniently forgetting that they were both in the government. Sometimes it can feel that they don't realise that the rest of us could actually see them. <laughs> and I would like to, to what extent do you think are, are the public noticing what's going on and, and how much is it harming the Conservative brand to have this sort of blue-on-blue blue action? Yeah, it, it is perhaps the nastiest campaign we've seen in, well, this century, really. It was Jeremy Hunt versus Boris Johnson this nasty. I don't remember it being. They were quite courteous to each other. Was Owen Smith against Jeremy Corbyn? as nasty. I don't think so. It was more about the life of the Labour Party as opposed to the personality of each other. This is the nastiest campaign we've perhaps seen for quite quite some time. It's the return of the nasty party. Yeah, yeah. Theresa May would love that. She's, she's going to patent that soon, isn't she? No, I, is it having an effect? How about this? The numbers are narrowing. The country is grappling with its new reality, which is the post-Johnson world, because we went from a 10-point Labour lead when Johnson was sort of shown the door to now what is, in essence, a five-point Labour lead. The numbers have narrowed. The country is reckoning with this new reality of a post-Johnson Tory party, and the leadership candidates are seeing their perception shift. Now, we don't have any data on Rishi Sunak's, what we call it, faux pas, reality check this, I, I, this, I don't this think, what would you call it i don't think we can even call it a gaffe because he meant to say it he, he was very clear about what he was saying and he was actually quite proud of what he was saying seemingly forgetting that some people in 2022 might take camera phones to events and might video things who knew although he seemed he seemed quite surprised this week about how contactless payment worked as well so maybe <laughs> he just doesn't understand technology yeah, and I, as I understand it, this Kent event was attended by journalists as well. Did you know that? No local journalists seem to have noticed that. But anyway, also, Sunak's statement of belief, or whatever you want to call it, is, is, a, is a fear amongst some Conservative MPs to about levelling up, and amongst some Conservative voters about levelling up, in that the post-Johnson world, levelling up won't feature as prominently in the minds of the next Prime Minister as it did under Johnson. And Tory leadership candidates, they're missing a trick by not, not going hard on levelling up, because that Johnsonian electorate that they won in 2019 is up for grabs. A lot of it's apathetic, a lot of it's undecided. Very few of it have moved over to Labour, about one in 10 of it have moved over to Labour if you look at so-called red wall polling. And, and so for Sunak to just do this is, is a complete mess up on his campaign, and, and, and voters are noticing it. There's no data on his response to his, his mess up, which perhaps is a sign that pollsters recognise he's never going to win. So why focus on yesterday's man, which sounds quite harsh, but that's what pollsters are doing. But what we are seeing is who looks prime ministerial, who looks fit to be prime minister. Rishi Sunak was more than 50% about a month ago. Rishi Sunak was more than 45% a few weeks ago. Now it's going closer to 40%. This is new Ipsos polling, which show the decline in how many voters see him as prime ministerial material. You do see almost at the same time a rise in the number of people who look at Liz Truss very low name recognition months ago. Her brand is starting to spread around the country now. Voters are paying attention. And the number of people who think she is prime ministerial material has risen accordingly. Not by much. Not by much. Just sort of level pegging with Keir Starmer on this front. So who would make a better prime minister? Starmer and Trust sort of neck and neck with each other. But yeah, the, the, Sunak's downfall happened before this video. And it's no doubt only going to be 
uh, faster now. Well, we'll come on to Liz Truss a bit later uh, and also talk about the cost of living and the looming economic crisis and, and everything to do with that. But before we do, there's sort of an, a, another prime ministerial figurehead sort of looming at the moment, which is Boris Johnson in the Tory party. Obviously, he, he's the caretaker prime minister. He was AWOL on his honeymoon, I think, in Slovenia at the same time as the Chancellor of the Exchequer and the Chief Secretary of the Treasury were all gone as well. But the levelling up project is very much him. It's his vision. It was his way of tying together parts of the country that wouldn't normally vote conservative in, in 2019. And Freddie, like, I wonder, is there a sense of seller's remorse among Tory MPs at the moment that they, they realise they had to get rid of Johnson because he had become sort of toxic on Partygate and on Chris Pincher and everything. But now they're sort of looking at the two candidates and wondering... Did they make an error with this? And obviously there's also the the Privileges Committee investigation into what happens to him as an MP, which is also causing a lot of tension in the the Tory party. Yeah, I think that's interesting because we've always had throughout this process, first of all, a line of thought that said we can trust our process because it will lead us to the best person. I think there's also a a section of Tory MPs who are so anti-Liz Trust that they are quite scared of that prospect. And I think the Privileges Committee investigation plays into that many of the Tory rebels won't be very happy with her assertion or some of her people on her campaign's assertion that it's um, not impartial or we should get rid of it. So I think that will definitely play into it. And bias remorse, I I wouldn't go that far because there was such a concerted effort to get rid of Johnson within the party and many people recognised that his electoral benefits had waned. And I think as Ben just spoke about, we are seeing sort of the benefit from Johnson leaving the party now come to the fore. So I'm not sure it's so much about whether Johnson should have stayed or not, but should have his policies or should have the 2019 coalition stayed? I think so. It was just sort of like a genre-defying coalition where Johnson was able to bring lots of different parts of the country together. And as Ben alluded to, if you don't maintain commitments on public services, on levelling up, then you are going to break apart that coalition because that was key to it. Key to it as well, surely it was the the optimism, the boosterism, Britain is wonderful, Brexit Britain can be wonderful, you know, we can do this. It's been three years since that election and we've had a pandemic in the middle and now we're facing an economic crisis. But you can really see Liz Truss trying to take on that mantle of optimism. I think she's basically said there isn't a recession if we say there's not a recession and sort of accuses people of talking Britain down when they talk about how severe the economic crisis is. Ben, do people like being told actually everything's okay when they can see that it that it isn't? Or is there a kind of sense of you really don't get the, the scale of the problem at hand? Could you please take it seriously? Yeah, yeah. We've we've had that perception for I don't know, what is it? It's the eighth month of this year, and we've been having that perception amongst voters for the past four months now, since before the May local elections, voters have been looking at the Conservatives and sort of saying, your priorities are not my priorities right now. You had the run-up to the May local elections, the cost-of-living crisis just beginning to take shape. You had Rishi Sunak's spring statement was at first perceived to have been quite badly handled. It didn't rise to the challenge to tackle the issues that matter most to voters. And what was the Conservative response immediately after the spring statement? Rwanda! Let's talk about Rwanda. Let's go hard on illegal migrants and planes and headlines and front pages all about Rwanda. It made no sense. And let's just remind ourselves, immigration is the ninth most important issue to voters right now. In 2015, it was more than 50% of voters said it was important. 2014, close to 50% said it was important. Now it's like 
12%, 11%, sometimes go, goes as low as 8%. Immigration or illegal migration, as, as some of the, the policy advocates say on Twitter, you know, it, it's not a policy priority for most voters. The cost of living has been badly handled by the government, just like immigration as well, by the way. Every time you poll it, you always see majority saying the government's handling this poorly, and you've never seen a rise in the number saying it's been handled well. There's been no change. It's a complete detachment from the priorities of public opinion. And, and for Liz Trust to go hard on tax cuts, again, just, just feeds that perception. There was a poll by YouGov which asked, which do you think is more important for the next prime minister to do? Getting inflation under control, 64%. Reducing people's taxes, 17%. This, this is a minority position. It's speaking to the members, not the people. And yet the people are seeing. Because let's not be around the bush here. I, I don't know how many of you are obsessed with American politics, but we have those party conventions, don't we? when they unveil a new Democratic or Republican candidate. And that is literally like two to three weeks of nonstop wall-to-wall coverage about that party. We're having virtually the same right now. This is the equivalent of the party convention here in Britain, where we've had wall-to-wall Tory leadership coverage. The country is paying attention. They are noticing. Obviously, attention during August and the summer months is lower, but really there's nothing else to talk about, and voters are seeing it. And they are sort of embedding that perception that the current Conservative Party that has been seen as the best party in the economy for the past 12 years is now no longer that force. Yeah. I put this to a shadow cabinet member this morning and asked them, you know, do you agree that Liz Truss is more of a problem for Labour now? And they said, yes, OK, she might have improved in her performance in the hustings. However, her policies aren't actually that attractive to voters. And once or if she is elected as PM, then that's going to come to the fore and, and people's bills will get higher and we're going to go through the winter months and tax cuts aren't going to cut it. So I think at that point, that disjunction between Liz Truss's support and uh, her policies will really come to the fore. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Edward Docks on the death of Boris the Clown. When did the booing start? He was never exactly sure. A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. One presenter told me that producers had taken to booking their own parents. May Robson on why women's football is the more beautiful game. Like most of the England squad, the Euro 2022 captain Leah Williamson can't afford not to have a plan B. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads published every Saturday morning. Just search audio long reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And now it's time for a section we like to call... You ask us. You ask us. 
Come on, Ben. <laughs> that was good, I thought. Uh, it's characterful. And our question today comes from Nick from Twitter, who asks, once they have to please more people than the very limited electorate of the Tory party, do we think the candidates will suddenly come out with some meaningful policies on cost of living, or are they just running scared and hoping for a miracle? Freddie, what do you think? Well, they will have to, and... Why, why will they have to? They... Re- reassure us. Well, we're seeing it already in the past week or so, the media coverage and the public pressure on the government to do more is becoming greater and greater. And once we get the announcement at the end of August about what the, the final or the, the next price cap will be, then that's going to be an even bigger problem. The fact is, and everyone knows it, that the announcements in May were set for a different type of price cap. And that's changed to the government's methods need to change. You're also going to see, as been, I think it's been reported this week, and I've seen something about it this morning, Labour announced policies next week on the cost of living that's also going to apply pressure onto the government so yeah i think they will have to do something you saw in um the hustings yesterday i think it was sionak alluded to the fact that he is going to at least try and match the increase in in policies in further support so i think yeah it's, it's gonna happen we, we just don't know what it's going to be yet well the, the numbers are really stark because liz Truss said over the weekend no more handouts only only tax cuts the tax cuts that she's talking about save the average person 150 200 pounds a year energy bills are going up by about 150 pounds a month for the average household tax cuts obviously don't help people who don't pay tax so that's pensioners that's people on universal credit that's single parents who have to look after children we have more children living in poverty in this country than we have pensioners living in poverty which is sort of not generally a part of the conversation that the conservative party particularly likes to focus on. And she sort of U-turned a bit on that. She said, obviously, we'll, we'll look at doing whatever we can. But she's still sticking very, very strongly to the line that the best way to help households is to give them more money in their pocket. That doesn't work when energy bills are taking up, I don't know, a quarter of your income. I think it's a third of the state pension now that they're projected to take over. Yeah, completely. And also on the for instance, the reverse in the NI increase, that can disproportionately helps the most well off. So I think the figures are for the richest households, it'll be about £740, but for the poorer households, it'll only be about £140. So there's a disparity between where the help is targeted if you use tax cuts. That's why the welfare system is often better, because you can really target it at the most vulnerable in society. Well, we've had two suggestions from outside the Tory party about what could be done. One of them from Ed Davey, leader of the Liberal Democrats, calling for an energy bills furlough. Great use of that word, I think, because it channels the pandemic spirit. Everyone knows what furlough is. They understand that the government were able to do unprecedented cash transfers during the, the COVID pandemic. Why can't they do that again? So he's called for that and for the government to effectively absorb the full £36 billion cost of the energy bills rises. And then you've also got intervention from former Labour Prime Minister Gordon Brown saying that the energy companies should be temporarily renationalised if they can't get bills under control, both of which are sort of bold policy proposals that really expose the lack of imagination on the part mm. of both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. But you know who we haven't heard from? And I'm interested as to as to why and if it's playing out. We haven't really heard from Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party. Ben, do you think do you think people have noticed that absence where you'd expect the leader of the opposition to be? 
this is the thing. Voters have never really noticed Keir Starmer <laughs> from the get-go. That, 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 that's quite the sad thing. Very few people have an opinion of him. About one in three to sometimes even 40% don't really have an opinion of him. You know, that that's pretty low. People made their minds up about Ed Miliband, Jeremy Corbyn, De- David Cameron. Took him a while, but people did in the end. It's worth bearing in mind, though, you know, Gordon Brown coming out and popping his policies. Rachel Wearmouth gave, gave, gave another article which sort of said Gordon Brown has been advising Keir Starmer on policy development, hasn't he? And that, that, that's, that's quite exciting. So you do get the impression what Gordon Brown is saying now. Is this a hint as to what's going to come next week? Is this, is this an indication as to what we might be hearing from the Labour Party? Finally, by the way, it's took them a fair while to come out and give something. Because I, I, I was wondering when is Labour going to come out? And if they decided they were going to you know, come out and start making policy announcements at the start of September, just as we got our new prime minister, I thought, worst time, worst time. This next week is perhaps later than I would like, but it's good for them. It's perfect timing because there's nothing else to cover. Are people noticing the absence of Keir Starmer? No, because they don't really pay attention to him either way. It's, he needs to come out and say something quite strong, quite defining, quite agenda-grabbing, headline-grabbing. And the yeah. windfall tax was the closest we came to that. And that was good. And it was received well. And it helped him. It helped the Labour Party. But that was it. We need more of that, really. I keep using this line. We need more policy leg from the leader of the opposition. Policy, policy leg. leg. That's, that's, not a, that's not an image I particularly wanted. <laughs> Freddie. What I've heard is that Labour are bringing forward their big cost of living package. It was originally scheduled for September, you'd be uh, sorry to hear, Ben. But it's going to most likely be coming forward next week. We don't yet know what the details are on that. But I'm told that Rachel Reeves and Keir Starmer are working on it this week. So I, on the holiday thing, I don't think that people mind politicians taking a holiday. It normally doesn't cut through. It just gets people on Twitter very angry. And I assume at once we all get back to the, the normal swing of things that will quickly dissipate. But yeah, so I think once the bigger policy announcement comes next week, the focus will be on that. And I also think that will help Labour with the confusion they've had over nationalisation, for instance. You've got to remember that Keir Starmer's big growth speech a few weeks ago was overshadowed by Rachel Reeves announcing some confused policy on nationalisation, which was cleared up uh, by by saying they're going to be pragmatic about nationalisation, whatever that means. So once they've got that big picture set out, well, we hope that that's what's going to happen, then it'll be much easier to constantly refer back to that and say, this is our plan. We know what we're talking about on nationalisation. We know what we're talking about on the cost of living. It's it's really interesting what... Ben was saying about the the absence of Keir Starmer and people not having an opinion on him. It reminds me of a a scene from the sitcom Coupling, where one of the guys has been told by his girlfriend to pick out some soft furnishings and just cannot have an opinion about something so so bland and mundane. At the end of the episode, he goes, "I think, I think I've almost got an opinion about stripes." And that's kind of, I think, how a lot of people feel about Keir Starmer. I, I sort of have an opinion about him, maybe, but I'm not sure what it is. And you do get the feeling that this is a, a moment where the government is in stasis. Boris yeah. Johnson's government has said that they're not going to do anything, which you can kind of back up from a moral perspective. He's a caretaker prime minister. He doesn't have a mandate anymore. On the other hand, it would be nice to know that somebody was running the country, if only sort of laying the groundwork for the next prime minister. You've had calls from Gordon Brown and from other business leaders that they should all get around the table. You know, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, Rishi Sunak, and to sort of discuss what, what is going to happen. So you, you've kind of got this blank space. You've got the candidate who are going at each other because they're right now only interested in the 160,000 or however many there are Tory members. Surely this should be an opportunity for Labour to be the grown-ups and to sort of unveil a package that 
at least requires the very fractured Tory party at the moment to come out against it and explain why why it wouldn't work and why they're not going to work to cut people's energy bills. So is this a missed opportunity? Labour is stuck in this middle ground, this purgatory of moving from letting the Tories destroy themselves and also trying to consolidate Keir Starmer's hold over the Labour Party to moving towards a big vision, set out your store for the country. So that they're stuck in this stasis as well. And I think this summer was supposed to be when they made that transition and it has been made much more difficult by mishaps like the nationalisation debate, but also the strikes as well. That's undermined the unity of their policy and that's also taken up a lot of the the news agenda which could have been focused on Labour. And finally, Bennett, it looks like polls are narrowing, but we're all assuming it is probably going to be Liz Truss as Prime Minister, who has managed to reinvent herself under David Cameron, under Theresa May, under Boris Johnson. And now again, she is sort of planning to or hoping to sort of take on the the mantle and lead the Conservatives into the next general election, which is a general election that we all really thought that the Tories, they had to lose, right? They'll have been in power for 14 years at that point. They'll be on their fourth leader. They'll have overseen crisis after crisis after crisis. And yet there are sort of signs that maybe she might do better than expected. I mean, how how worried should Labour be? Look ahead to the next election and what what do you think we should be looking at to kind of make sense of that? Yeah, I've been, I've been thinking this question. How worried should Labour be about Liz Truss? Those of us who are the political junkies of the world who watch Liz Truss, who see her try to be Maggie T. Mark II, tend to find her unimpressive and quite, you know, slips up on multiple occasions. Her language isn't great. But she's new. She, she She's a new figure. She appears on the scene. And to be honest with you, when you have new figures who appear on the scene, generally speaking, I did a piece recently about Valerie Pécresse. I don't know if either of you paid attention to French politics. You don't have to. But there was the Conservative establishment candidate, Valerie Pécresse. She appeared on the scene. She sounded quite strong on immigration and in Islam, and she wasn't Marine Le Pen. So voters took to her pretty well. She wowed. She impressed. She was so much so neck and neck with Emmanuel Macron, for a few weeks and then she just fell back on the wayside went down like a lead balloon it didn't impress she was she got five percent in the end and i feel at the start we may have something similar with liz trust perceptions expectations of the tory party right now are so low you know you can't go lower than that you are going to impress whatever you do so i expect when liz trust takes charge when she ascends to downing street there may be a lot of a honeymoon period of sorts that may last a few weeks if not a month or so where people look to her and think okay new kid on the block, what are you going to do? And voters, you know, will come with some degree of positivity, which will probably be, they'll be disappointed by quite quickly. But the opportunity for an early election and maybe to surprise everyone is there. How would Labour be about her? As Freddie says, you know, when it comes down to the policy, there's not much to fear. You can fight on policy, but I think you need more than just policy as Keir Starmer, like I mentioned before, like we've all mentioned before, is not really impressing, is not really arousing feeling, is not really having an impact. I don't want to excite the Keir Starmer fanboys, but um, a lot of people said the same about Clement Attlee in the 1940s when people were polled on Clement Attlee's own favourability. It was pretty low, didn't really arouse much feeling. And uh, oh God, no, what have I started by saying that? <laughs> comparing Atlee to Starmer. It's a big claim, man. Yeah, I know. Also, can you stop using terms like show a bit of leg and arouse about, yeah. about Keith Starmer? I don't, I don't think it's that kind of podcast. I think you're one of those fanboys, Ben. 
Yeah, oh no, dear. I'm, I'm more of a Gordon Brown <laughs> fanboy, really. <laughs> to, to, to cut a long story short, should Labour be afraid of Liz Truss? In the first few weeks, maybe. But to be honest, the economy, the realities of life are going to take over. And that, that, that just bodes very ill for the Conservative government. Well, there you go. You heard it here first from Ben Walker. Prepare to be disappointed. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Rachel Cunliffe, and my colleagues, Ben Walker and Freddie Hayward. We're produced by Mae Robson and Clara Abenethi. Our music is Devil with a Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.